it's a financial transaction. Like we all do it for a lot of us yeah. fun, but it's still a financial transaction. By the way, 80% of the people that are ripping orders on Robinhood right now, probably more on the fund end of the spectrum too. <laughs> no, that's investing. Hey, what's up, everybody? GP13 here. New episode of the Risk Takers Podcast. This is a very exciting episode. I'm joined by my friend Alex Kane from Sport Trade. We uh, we've been DMing a lot on Twitter, and I'm really, uh, really been following him in the project he's been uh, developing over there, which is a sports betting exchange. So I think that there's a lot here that's going to be like really, really. Um, indicative of how the the industry will progress, and Alex is definitely one of the the people pushing for what I would say is like the right type of change in the industry. So, Alex, uh, welcome to the podcast. GP, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we start off? Um, why don't we start off by just you know giving a brief little rundown of who you are and what Sport Trade is, because I think that will col- uh, color a lot of the the discussion. Yeah, so uh, founder and CEO of Sport Trade um, went to school in Philadelphia, which is where our, our we're headquartered as a business. Um, was a business law and, and finance major, and someone put Robinhood in my hands, the app, the trading app, and uh, I thought that was really cool. Like we were learning about how to, you know, look at the present value, future cash flows of a company, and coming up with a valuation. And there was like this ticker, I remember at Drexel, like this huge ticker at the LeBeau building where like you'd see like Raytheon and you'd see like a pixelated little logo, $83.44. Yeah. And it would keep, and I thought that was, was really cool. Like that, you know, you could sign up for an app. It was all digital. Like before then, like even in my lifetime, in our lifetime, like our parents had to open up a, go to a physical Charles Schwab location to like open up a brokerage account. And obviously incredibly expensive, you know, terrible process. And I think what was so great about Robinhood was like, it was all just instant. It was easy. It was slick. It was fast. It made sense. And I thought to myself, I want to build that for sports betting. And and I don't even, couldn't even define what that was. It was sort of like, you know, when you see it, like when you, I opened up E-Trade, no offense to E-Trade, amazing business. And you open up Robinhood, like you just say, oh, well, nine out of every 10 people are going to you choose this one. And that's sort of what I wanted to try to build for sports betting. And like the, the underpinning of that was obviously to build some sort of exchange like mechanism, borrow, t- you know, these sort of concepts and technologies from financial markets um, to build an experience where, you know, you always got the best price for all of your bets and that those bets had a fair liquid value throughout the lifespan where you could both assess the live value and what we call like a portfolio, Robin calls a portfolio, but take action and say, I bought here and I want to sell here. And so we ended up building was like this probability based system where every outcome on our platform settles at zero or 100. Um, and it's, it's very similar to a traditional sports betting sort of experience from like a high level. But what's very unique and differentiated is that the prices are very, very tight. Um, it's very transparent to see how much you can get down at any one point. Um, we don't have like a spinny wheel. So like when you place a bet, it goes right through. And then what I think is the most like fun and exciting part, particularly for golf and golf outrights is like the concept of like, well, if 
if the market's going to be tight the whole time and I have near 100% uptime, I could start to buy things at a low percentage odds that I don't think are actually going to win, but I think are going to go up. And if that spread stays tight, then I can start to think about betting like the way I think about buying Raytheon back in whatever, 2017 as a Drexel grad. And that is I'm going to buy low and sell high. Right. Um, and, and so that's what sport trade is now. We're a licensed online sports betting operator. Um, had no clue what I was doing when I started. And I like to say, like, I have, you know, incrementally more of a clue now, but still learning a ton. Um, we're live in two states. We're hoping to get live in a few more states this year. Um, and we have a, you know, a growing group of customers that I think really love the product. And by virtue of being a smaller and scrappy operator, we've really leaned into the customer and allowing that person, the customer to sort of dictate our roadmap and um, I think it's one of the things I'm most proud of is like how involved, you know, the executive team and many here are like with the customer and helping sort of define the roadmap. What should we list? What new products to sort of develop? Um, and and I'm very passionate about this, as you probably could tell. So I, I really enjoy what I do. So that's a bit about me and, and the company. Yeah, thank you. And I I want to I want to. So actually, the first, it's actually very interesting because I actually kind of forgot about this, but a while ago you had come out and I thought you handled the situation incredibly well, which was the situation that involved Spanky and Bally's and playing on your platform. And I remember you were put in a pretty awkward situation, but you're very like um, upfront with Spanky and the whole situation. And I messaged you on LinkedIn. I actually have to go back and find out. I was like, Hey, I don't, you know, I never, you know, we had met, I was like, I thought you handled that really well. It was a terrible spot to be in. And it was like the first time I thought I saw an operator kind of go out of their way to engage in discourse with the better. I've always felt like there's this wall and the walls often customer service reps that sit behind between the operators and the betters. And there's no conversation. So there's this like, naturally antagonistic relationship that just gets like stoked because there's no conversation. But now I've seen you, uh, Jeff Benson, uh, engaging on Twitter with betters, like, and you're saying you're pro customer, like how much of that engagement drives your kind of the thesis behind sport trade and like being actually in the room with the customer? Yeah. I, well, first of all, I really enjoy it. And I, I think the, the takeaway for, for anyone listening is like uh, sort of going back to my Drexel days. So I, I, I sat there and I was like, I'm going to build this exchange. And, you know, like Coinbase was really up and coming back then. And that was sort of the thing. It's like you're going to build the broker, right? The mobile app that sends the order. You're going to build the exchange and the clearinghouse. And it's going to be you know vertically integrated uh, because that's the way you have to build a business in, in online sports betting. You can't. You, maybe we'll talk about this later, but you, there is no true U.S. equities market structure yet, uh, which would be even better for the customer. So I sat there and I was like, okay, I build this exchange. I'm like, shit, like, how do I start? Like, how? All right, I'll build the exchange first. Okay, how do I do that? Like, I'm looking up at that ticker. There's Raytheon scrolling yeah, yeah, about $84. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm a finance major. I just graduated from the school. What does that $84.31 mean? And I started to think, well, that's the present value of future cash flows. No, no, but technically, how do that, how do that as numbers get up on that screen? Is that like the price that you can buy Raytheon? Is that the price that you can sell Raytheon? 
is that the price that someone just bought or sold Raytheon? And I ended up taking this sort of, I wouldn't call it a detour, but this progression to how to build essentially electronic marketplace, which ended up being exactly similar, exactly identical to the way you built the NASDAQ to the point where the the individual, his name's John Ross, that built the NASDAQ matching engine, built our matching engine. It That's is awesome. It's the same same thing. But so why this wind, winding story? Like, why did I go back to Drexel? What I learned was when I thought about the idea, I was like, well, this is great. You're going to get all these people and they're going to sort of be betting against each other. And that's how the stock exchange works. And, yeah. and what I learned is is that an exchange can only is only as good as its liquidity. Yeah. And the liquidity can't come from individuals. It's it's too fast, it's too industrial, it's too yep. methodical. It has to come from companies and machines. And those company yes. machines are called market makers. And market makers are there to provide both a buy and a sell price. In sports betting parlance, you can bet either side, the yes or the no side, the home team or the away team, the over or the under. Um and I think what's unique about sports trade is that Sport Trade's biggest two market makers are its biggest two investors. And so now bank back to this sort of spanky situation. It's it's not that Sport Trade as an individual company is extremely pro player. It's it's actually more than that. It's it's the collective group of employees here and employees at both market makers that have this collective vision that we all want to drive down the cost of the sports bet and we yes. all want to put the customer first. And 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 it is just like extreme luck that I'm in this position. I think in a lot of ways, like to to be in a position where it's and again, like that spanky situation. It's like well, it's very easy for an exchange to say we accept all players, but okay, if you think about well, exchange is only good as the liquidity, and the liquidity comes from the market makers. The question shouldn't be does the exchange accept all players? It's sort of a meaningless question, isn't it? Isn't the question do the market makers accept all players? And and Spanky knew through the process, he got to know one of our market makers really well. The market makers were like, look, we're going to lose this guy, but it is so valuable for us to have him come to the cage and use the product um, and talk about his experience. Um, he was 100% going to beat us. He beats every sports book he plays in. That's not, not a question. It's for him, that's not even the hard part. Um, and so the overall point I'm making is that you know, people should think about sports trade not just as an individual business that has this vision, but a business backed by liquidity providers that also have that vision. And once you have that, it's sort of you've cloaked yourself with this sort of way of thinking in French, a raison d'être, a reason for being. And now, back to your original question, how do we, how do we, why do we interact with players this way? It's like, I'm fairly positive that every decision we make when it's behind closed doors is the best thing for the consumer. So it's very easy for me then to open the door and explain it because there's absolutely yeah. nothing to hide. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's the ethos difference. I think like, and I talked to sure. a lot of sports books and sports book operators and they were like, this is whole things of it's a farce. It's your market makers are trying to pick up as much value as possible. And like, maybe we talk about it today, maybe we don't, but like, some of the technology we have, some of the things we do is like so pro player and it all comes back to that singular vision. We want to put the customer first. We want to drive down the cost of that sports bet. And so it's it's really a strategic partnership between the exchange and liquidity providers to do that. And that's what it makes it so easy to inter- interface with people because 
doesn't mean our decisions are always correct, but it's very easy to sort of explain the logic, even in a right. very public and non-nuanced sort of setting like, like Twitter. Totally. And you brought up the, my first question about structure. And the first thing I want to highlight is uh, the, was the market makers and the idea that sport trade, because what, you know, what do we see on Twitter in our feeds? We live in a small bubble, but it's a bubble of people that generally win sports betting and generally get limited. So when I think about sport trade and I think about the market makers, the market makers, like you said, are the, are the people that would be kind of tired of sharp action if anybody were to be. It wouldn't be sport trade. That's exactly right. Now, when I, th- I think about the market makers, I'm like, okay, well, like, do they, are they accepting of, of, of sharp action? Like truly, or is that like part of the agreement or whatever? It's like, you have to fill orders or, you know, how, how have you talked to them about, you know, potentially taking on toxic order flow, like Spanky or like, you know, whoever comes off the street and just wants to, you know, bet they're what they deem to be good spots and are winning long-term. Yeah. So they, both of these sort of market makers have signed an agreement with us to provide liquidity on the, on the platform. They're licensed as service providers that with sort of the highest level of license, you know, same thing I was just explaining to you about our state three and filling all that stuff out. They do the, they do the same thing from a business perspective and from a key, key employee, key, um, key holder, it's called perspective. Right, 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 right. Um, I think it's, uh, I'd say a couple of things. Like one is the market makers are helping to build this business by virtue of exchanges are only as good as the liquidity and they are providing liquidity. Okay. So we all sort of agree we're building this business together. Fine. Right. Um, now, because they're is, partners in the, because they're partners kind of in the business. So they have the like business. long-term, they have long-term incentives to do a good job in general. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we've created a structure where there's alignment from a s- equity perspective. They are on our cap table. Um, yep. This is a this is something that a lot of almost every equity startup exchange does, or non-equity like Memex is a great example. We're like, okay, you're you're going to go try to beat Nasdaq and New York Stock Exchange. Mm. What you sort of think about is like, wait, I need I need to get the brokers in the room. Yeah, I need the institutional brokers. I need the retail brokers. I need the market makers. And like Memex, the members exchange was what it's called. That's why it's called Memex. Was it brought all the members together and gave them all the strategic reason and alignment to drive success and drive flow to Memex. And Memex now, I think it's in like the mid to high single digit market share, which is. Wow, for an exchange, that's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Um, to be, to sort of, you know, because you have such incumbent sort of strategic advantages for for NASDAQ and, and for NYSE. So, so okay, they're helping us build this business. And you sort of recognize, like, okay, I any new sports book that launches in any state, what are the first thousand players that come every time? The sharpest of the sharp. <laughs> it's just sort People of, you don't want. Just, yeah. right. That's just the virtue of, and, and then, so, so that's like, it comes with the territory. The second thing I would say is like, it's, it's, it's less of like us wanting to book to only that player long-term and more. And you hear a lot of companies say this, um, prime says this and the circus says this. Um, I think the view we take is like, of course you want to book to every single player. Like you build all this technology and you put all this blood, sweat and tears in your business and you sort of market it like, 
of course, there's never a customer you'd say no to, especially if they're a square player. Um, I think the, the, the better question is like, do you have a product and experience that you could rationally and reasonably say can attract that player from That's an a great question. perspective, right? That's Onboarding. a great question. I had that question before you teed up. It's like, I, I see why a sharp would want to hop on and play right? with the market maker because we're all very wary of just like having short account longevity and to have that kind of removed from the question and we just focus on pricing is great but like right. what is what is uh what's the flip side like where right. where are you seeing the recreational because there must be a difference between like what attracts me to a platform than what attracts like uh just a you know bet on the weekends recreational yeah i think there's a couple things like and 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 the, you are totally right to ask this question this is like the there's a, there's a gaming consultant and industry expert. His name's Alan Bowden. And, okay. and he, he basically, I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's brilliant. Like the best sports books in the world are the venues that have a way to attract happy losers. Right. Yeah. When we were just talking about this before the podcast, yeah. all the revenue comes from losing players in the form of commission in the form of losing to market makers, it doesn't matter. In the form of placing a same game parlay on DraftKings and losing, right? It comes from those players. So long term, to be able to go beyond that sharp audience, happy losers. Okay, happy losers. That is a totally different way of thinking about building a sports betting. I like app, that. You know, primarily for sharp players because sharp players aren't generally happy losers. There are the third point I was going to make to your last question. There are definitely spots where sharps are happy to lose. And what I say when I say lose, I mean give back edge of all. I think this thing is yeah. truly worth 53. I'll buy it at 53.5 because I'm hedging that ESPN bet promo. Sure. And so we yeah. have a lot of those instances where um, customers are happy to lose because they can find pretty dang near close to midpoint liquidity. Yeah. Um, ESPN bet promo being a perfect example. We're like, okay, oh, yeah. the best price in the world. You're letting me bet Houston plus 10 and a half at, you know, uh, whatever it was, minus 105. And the true point, I think true midpoints like minus 103 and a half, minus 104. So I'm paying a little bit of edge, but I've got, I was just able to get $100,000 down on ESPN. Yeah, like, we should we should go over the the actual because this was you this was a good moment for both you and profit because you guys got a lot of exposure on Twitter and I'm sure you got a lot of action and I I don't know if you want to go over the ESPN bet uh you know the Ravens and then the the Chiefs situation and then explain like kind of what how that might have highlighted like uh, a use case for you amongst like I would call them like the arbitrage community, right? Like yeah. that's which is a huge client of yours, I'm sure. Yeah. In short, uh, ESPN decided to have an uncapped promo for a main market, and that main market was I think they were boosting Houston plus nine and a half from like minus one ten to plus one ten. Plus one ten, and then you could get, you could get minus us. something else to like plus one forty, I think. Right, and then yeah. and then Houston, they were then they were boosting um, Houston plus, or I would say they're they're boosting um, 
the the ten and a half as well. Oh, that's um, right. And, that's right. So plus so you could do, right? Yeah. So you could essentially they're offering like the best price in the world on the Ravens minus nine and a half and minus ten and a half. Yeah. And I think their minus ten and a half price was like plus one forty. And you know, we woke up on Saturday that Saturday, this was like two, three weekends ago, and just basically again, that strategic partnership, that's where it really showed. It was like yeah. market makers got there and said, All right, quarter million's there, and like we're offering it at like what we don't even think is value. So once the commission is is baked in, it's 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 just essentially a marketing sort of like we're invested in this exchange, yeah. we're invested in this. And so that ended up being really great for us. And customers were depositing and new players were coming in and betting the, you know, Houston plus ten and a half with us because we had the best price in the world, and Houston plus nine and a half with us because we had the best price in the world. We even had some player that was a VIP with us who basically said, I somehow have $300,000 of potential return on ESPN. So whatever, risking 125 to win 175 all in blended across the two bets. And in sport trade parlance, we call that he had 3,000 shares. A share is $100 potential return. Got it. Times 3,000 is 300,000. Yep. He came to us during the game and said, what can you do? We got the market maker on. We have this pl- you know, product called Liquid Boost, which is like a brokerage yep. style product. RFQ style product where you can say, I want to bet a lot more. What can you do? And like during a timeout in the first half, customer was able to get down um, $40,000 on, um, on Houston minus nine and a half or Houston plus 10 and a half. Yeah. And the comeback for him is like minus 08. So like he was offered a plus a hundred minus 08 market during the game. Yeah. $40,000. That is, that's the level of sort of, liquidity that we think we're going to need to get sort of beyond have that exit velocity, right? Not just the super, super price sensitive player. So, so yeah, that, that's how that whole thing went down and it was great because great. it's a crazy of- situation for, for, uh, I think to real like, I, I, I was like, Oh man, this is immediately. Well, first of all, I'm happy that me and your market makers won a lot of money on that game. So that's good because the, the boost, uh, the boost, or wait, the market makers got rinsed. No, the market makers won because they they were, took the yeah they took the Raven the, side. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah, right. I didn't. So have... ESPN bet lost. That's and, right. Uh, and customers on the net. I think we did some math to figure out how much. Like somewhere in the forty thousand dollar range. Like we just yeah. took all the trades we did on that day and yeah. assumed they. We actually had an interesting and sort of gets back to your last point on like the price insensitive flow. We yes. had a customer in the middle of all this. Um, it was great. I mean, in the middle of everyone taking, um, yeah. you know, the Houston side, I think it was nine and a half customer came in and said, I want Baltimore minus nine and a half. The first thing we say is like, go, go hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which sort of, that's nice. People. That's um, nice of you. And he says it, mainly sort of an AC uh, player and plays like mainly offline, like doesn't really play on the online yeah. apps. Um, and ESPN doesn't have a place where you can deposit anywhere. Penn doesn't have any place you can deposit yeah. anywhere in Southern Jersey. You've got to go to the, I think it's called the Freehold Racetrack. And they have a cage there. And they're still actually changing their machines over from Canby to the score tech. So it's unclear if they yeah, even sure. have a cage. And so that was an example where like that customer got like an insane price as yeah. well. Uh, and so, and so kind of goes to that point around like, 
okay, th- you're building the business. It really only can become a super viable business if you're bringing in the non-price sensitive players. And I think we're already doing that to degree. And I think it goes back to the point of, okay, you got to think about that customer that's, they're going to be a bit more fickle than, okay, you have the best price or you have the best liquidity. And it starts with, can I use Face ID to log in? Uh, does there Venmo and PayPal deposits? Is it an app that sort of speaks to me? Is it um, is it native? Can I swipe back and go back a screen like I can on Uber or Instagram? Um, and I think we've 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 got that sort of we're on that path. And I think a lot of people can look at the app and say, okay, it looks a little bit different, but it's got those sort of you know intangible sort of qualities that make that sort of underpinning. I think we have more work to do, you know, as part of we want to get to that sort of customer at some point to really have a USP outside of price, outside of quality of execution that can bring in the sort of player that is going to sort of just be totally price insensitive and not really care that the prices are great. Um, just like the app. Just like the app. I mean, it's, it's going to take us time and I think we've learned a ton, but like there's so many features that we're we're, we're delivering that are like, very different. And I think, again, goes back to like making sports betting the way we think about it, more of a community, more of an experience, as opposed to just purely transactional. Um, and we just borrow a lot of those concepts from like what Robinhood does really well or what Coinbase does really well, what eToro does really well. And I, who knows if any of them are going to work. But I think one thing is definitely true, and that is they're different. Uh, very different yep. than you would look at a Caesars or a FanDuel or a Fanatics. Totally. I, I, I'm i trying to figure out like how to phrase this because it seems like you have a reason for doing this like outside of making money. Is that fair? Like it feels uh, like you have like a – like you want to see some positive change. Yes, 100%. Yeah. It's it goes back to that raison d'être thing. Um, yeah. The reason of being like I was asked to do something like teach a course at Drexel, which I'm doing later this week, which is oh, going to be cool. so fun cool. for sports betting because sport, Drexel actually is a very uh, sort of business forward school and realizes this is going to be a huge industry for years to come, and why not create a curriculum around it, which is what they're starting to do. Um, and one of the questions is like, fill out this questionnaire or whatever. And it's like, what's one quote about you and how you feel about your profession? And I'm like, all right, this is incredibly corny, but, um, I feel like I was put on earth to do this. And it, 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 that sounds incredibly immature probably of like, wait, really online sports betting? Like, I just think that when you look at the capital markets and you look at the whole ecosystem of all of these participants, particularly the retail participants, because again, all the money in financial trading comes from losing traders, just like totally. all the money in sports betting comes from losing sports bettors. And then yeah. there ended up being this like incredible divergence of like the protection that retail traders should have versus the protection that retail sports bettors should have. And to yep. me, like we'll have been successful if we can move the world towards it hopefully it's something like an epiphany because I speak to a lot of people and they were like, they're saying, you know, it's better. It's a vice. They don't deserve any protection. I'm like, really? So they should get treated even worse because what they're doing is a vice. Like it's a financial transaction. Like we all do it. For, a lot of us yeah. are fun, but it's still a financial transaction. By the way, 80% of the people are ripping orders on Robinhood right now. 
probably more on the fund end of the spectrum too. No, that's investing. <laughs> right? But like they, 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 they get this amazing customer protection of like that order is going to be executed at the NBBO. And like, yeah, we, we have visions of like, that's how the U.S. should work, right? If you're betting any sort of main market or alternate line or anything that's somewhat liquid, if you're betting, I'm looking here like, I don't know, Wake Forest is offered at 53% odds, which is minus 113 um, to beat Georgia Tech on sport trade, but it's 52 for at Circa. Like, I'd love to be able to take that order and be like, you know what? Here you go, Circa. You're offering a better price, you know, right? Like, why, why yeah. wouldn't you want that sort of experience? So so I do agree. Like, we, I am sort of here to do this, and that thing is to improve the execution quality of players and to reduce the cost of the sports bet. And, and I would measure my success based on, like, from a macro perspective, the market trending that way. I think sport trade is a vehicle to help me do that, but it's certainly yep. it's bigger than sport trade for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I I love it, and I think so. I I feel generally the same way about the space. I have a fondness for the space, and like you said, like being put on Earth to to do this. Like for a while when I was playing poker, I always felt like oh, poker's bad because it's a zero sum game, or gambling's bad because it's a zero sum game. I have to go, you know, I have to go do something with my life, make a positive impact. But like, I kept coming back to the fact that I, I love this industry. You know, the people I look up to are, you know, Phil Ivey, Doyle Brunson, Billy Walters, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and that's fine. I eventually just said, that's fine. And I want to do the best I can for this industry. You know, you don't have to go do what, everybody you know as long as you go do something with like with good intentions and you know you enjoy what you're doing like that Mm -hmm. eventually i just accepted that was fine and i want to i want to see this industry do well and i think it's on the back of like it can't be there's just there's just too much bullshit like Mm -hmm. and it it just can't continue like that and to there has to be some intangible benefits right. of having sport trade, having Circa, who say, "Hey, person who wins, here, come on in." You know, you yep. hear Jeff on Twitter, Jeff Benson from 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 Circa, come in and you know say, "Hey, thanks for being a customer." To even like people who are being dicks and sharp batters, and there's just some. I feel like there's just some like unseen advantage to the industry operating like that, that can't be quantified. And people are taking the retail books that are like operating in a very underhanded way are taking a shortcut that like won't work long-term. I I don't know. Those are my thoughts. I I totally agree with that. Like I think I take the view that sports betting for a ton of people is it's, it's sort of the the reason why it was like, like regulated and the reason why I gaming is, is, is never going to have the success of online sports betting is that like any, any legislator is going to be like, yeah, I watch sports and like, yeah, I heard they, they talk about the spread. They may even do it themselves. The amount of people I've met that are legislators are already betting, even though it's not legal. Like it's, do you track their votes? Be like, wait, why did you vote this way? (laughs) Even, even like regulators that's just say like they're, they're betters themselves. Like these are normal people. Right. Um, I, th- I think the view that we take is like, it's never going anywhere. Like people go out to the movies, right? I love going yeah. to the movies. 
And there's a cost of the entertainment. And that cost is, you know, the 15 bucks for a ticket and the $10 for popcorn and a soda. I sit there for three hours and I sort of suspend my disbelief and I enjoy the movie. Like I'd say like myself as a sports better, like I think everyone is is on the, it's, you're not, you're not specifically anywhere on the sharpness spectrum. Like some days you can wake up and say, I want to try to shop on price. And some days, like I wake up and say, like, I want to bet on the Eagles. Like I want to get the best price. I'm yeah. going to bet on the but Eagles. You're betting on the Eagles. Yeah. Right. And so I think like that being the vast majority of where the revenue comes from, I think again, getting to this point of like the way Circa and Prime and Pinnacle and Chris and, yep. and Novig yep. and Profit and Sports yeah. and STX, like we just want to drive down the cost of that entertainment for this person that wants to get a great price. And I think that run is very contrary to the, add add the 19th leg to your parlay or let, let me not yeah. do a straw man, but add the sixth leg to your parlay for another yep. 25% profit boost. It, it, that's so different than that. That's, that's let me increase the cost of entertainment and lower the sort of lifespan of this player. And for us, it's the opposite. It's like, let me extend the lifespan of that player because everything else that's going to be coming, you know, secondary to that, maybe they go to more games, maybe they watch more on TV, maybe they get more involved and buy like ancillary products. Like, so I think there's, I don't know, that's just the view that we take. And I, I do believe that's like the more mature approach. I agree. I agree. And it's like, you have to, you have to build it on a, a, a solid foundation of transparency. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see how these these books think it's like I don't know. I do think there was it's some of it's systemic. Some of it came from uh probably overspending on advertising and trying to make money back to show shareholders, you know, it wasn't a total failure. Right. Uh, you know, sure. But at the end of the day, I look at I look at that group that you just mentioned and I would, and I think like I think like, yes, those are the people that I would want being the face of our industry, talking to the legislators, talking yep. to consumers. I saw like, you don't have to, to I'll, you know, don't, you don't have to weigh in, but I don't want it to be Jason Robbins. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's not who I, I really think needs to be leading the industry because I want this to last for 30 years, not for five and then get embroiled. And I mean, today DraftKings huge huge kind of blow up on this VIP guy between DraftKings and Fanatics. And it's, yep. it's like, we need, we are, we're playing from behind. People already yep. view sports betting as like, you know, shady. Like we don't have these scandals to spare. We don't have, you know, right. whatever, like the unit scandal. We don't have the DraftKings VIP thing. Like we, we don't have many of these left. So it's yep. like, I love to see what you guys are doing because I hope that, I don't have to work. Like, I don't want to have to, you know, sit down at Thanksgiving every year and like have it be progressively and progressively more awkward that I'm, a pro- that I'm a professional sports better, you know, and the, right. the more bad players in the industry, the, the worse it's going to get. Right. So, but yeah. I want to talk about profit. Uh, there's two things I want to talk about. First, I want to talk about profit in Novik. These are two other exchanges. And I like to think, I'd like to hear your, your opinion. I mean, you clearly think of them in a high high light, as to mention yep. in that you know in that group. And there's multiple. Uh, there's obviously multiple exchanges that operate in the financial markets. 
And I do think there's some benefits to it. Like it creates more arbitrage opportunities and there's like a lot of volume and it brings, brings more customers. Like, do you see a multi-exchange future? You know, I I don't know. I don't want to like paint you into a tough spot with, you know, those those companies, but it does seem like you have a a high opinion of them. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I I think uh, there are, I was on a panel at G2E, the Global Gaming Expo last year. It'd be really great to get to see you at a lot of these more events this year. I'm GP. I'm yeah, like, yeah. looking forward to, to meet you. Yeah, I'm gonna, for um, sure. And I was on a panel with Captain Jack and others. And the question came up. It was like, how did, what is a sharp better, right? That was the name of the panel. And like, someone's like, why, you know, we should, we should mandate these books have minimum bet limits. Mm-hmm. And, and I, uh, this is not a political statement. This is more just a, a view of how I think uh, things efficiently operate. I think that in a lot of ways, marketplaces and competition can solve a lot of issues. Some areas that it doesn't. I agree. Um, but this would be an area where marketplace can solve the issue. And it's it's less of like, let's make DraftKings always accept $1,000 on everything from everybody or some yep. number. It's, it's actually a structural question of like, how do we allow businesses that want to and want to offer that experience to players, the names I just mentioned, right? And countless others. Someone, someone listening to this podcast wants to start a sharp yep. sports book right now. Like I would count them as well. How yep. do we lower the competition, um, make more reasonable licensing requirements, allow more vendors to get into this industry that can drive down the cost of revenue for businesses like Sport Trade? Because once you do that, you've now enabled more competition. And guess what? customer's wallet's going to choose that over time when if ever pinnacle comes to the u.s or sport trade yep. you know gets into more states customers are going to decide with their wallet whether that's better for them and that's a better situation it's a better way to solve the issue than to say you know DraftKings is going to mandate that you have to have minimum bet limit. Right. it's not going to solve anything guess what they're going to do yeah. they're going to stop listing a lot of the fun stuff that a lot of retail people like and probably for sure. like that for and sure so, so i think that's like a such an easy answer. Like it's like people, sometimes I maybe I'm super naive and I think you have to be sort of unrealistically naive and stupid That's to be an point. entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> Paul Graham said that. And then he said like, you could, you could end up, you end up surprising yourself, but you know, you, That's you true. overestimate yeah, your abilities. So then you've underestimate looking back what you were able to, what you could have achieved sort of thing. Yeah. So, so what my view is like competition is great. And, and then what do I would say about like sport trade and profit and no is like, I think, Exchange ends up being this very, I won't say very toxic, but somewhat toxic word because people assume they know what that means. And like, just yes. me, I'm, I'm even, I'm even still learning what that means. Um, I would say, I wouldn't want to speak for those companies. I would say sport trade is less an, an exchange and it's more a technology company that, yeah. that tries to connect players with the best markets in the world. Yeah. And sometimes that's with central limit order book. Sometimes that's with interesting technology that we've delivered and customers really like. And ultimately we want to do things like parlays and having RFQs and those aren't really exchange things either. So I'd view us more as like technology companies that want to deliver types type of sports bet just in a, in a higher quality way. Um, But then to your question of like, can the market support it? Like my honest answer is in a lot of States, no. Yeah. Um, and I would sure. probably extend that to most states, no. 
And again, it gets back to that cost thing. It's it's because the underpinning costs of having to, you know, pay a casino each year to operate and and choose from a list that's of right. payment vendors when right. you know, I have a friend that works, my, my brother-in-law works at Stripe, and I hear what regular businesses cost to transact money and what gambling us sports books pay to and it's not even even if we're taking all of the counterparty it's not even this not even the same cosmos and so i think it's like structurally i would love there to be a world where there's like the u.s there's 13 you know lit books right now the u.s 13 approved sec approved exchanges right now and if there were only one the cost to transact would be a lot higher but there's 13 yep. but my realistic take on it is that unless those things change unless there is avenues for entrepreneurial businesses to get into a lot of these states like the barrier structure is so high there may not ever be um look at new york there may not ever be an innovative sports book that ever gets there because the costs are too high so unfortunately like a lot of these states like the, the cost just doesn't support any and if if any yeah sometimes only one yeah. yeah yeah it is it is a bummer and i know that's been that's been a frustration for you and for me because it's like my god can we let the people who actually know how to how to book bets actually start books instead of like these massive conglomerate like run by marketers and consultants it's it's but they have the money so it's like all right. Well, I guess we have to have DraftKings again, no matter what. Even though they, you know, they're not. I don't think they're very innovative on a uh, trading or pricing standpoint, but or very robust. But it's like that's what we get. Are you now? This is a this is an interesting thought experiment. I think we talked about this uh, offline when we first when we first talked. But it's like, do you see a future? Because you're you're the way you're describing sports trade, right? Like it's not. It's in a technology company. It's not necessarily exchange because you have two sets of customers. You have institutional customers, which are your market mm-hmm. makers, and then you have your, you know, the counterparties, which are going to be the retail customers, which could be Sharp, which could be Square, right? But they're all bucketed into that. They're usually taking liquidity instead of posting. The market makers are posting two different products. So what's to stop, you know, you say, you know, saying to Circa, hey, you know, be a market maker, plug in if you want, or like to, you know, routing orders. And I think you mentioned it just earlier, like routing orders to and from these books and being more of that intermediary instead of, you know, being an operator, you're just Mm -hmm. giving your technology to a new customer on the institutional side. That's a super interesting business to me. Like I, I, I am a big fan of the app picket. Um, there's, there's others out there, there's juice reel and, um, and and others that sort of have this service, but I think Pickett is head and shoulders to the point where it has the legitimacy. Again, you sort of go back to that user, like face ID, clean, easy, white space, simple logos, spacing, just sort of hard to describe and write down on paper, but you know, when you see it. Pickett's nice. Yeah. Pickett's great. Um, I know Anthony pretty well. He's the CEO at Pickett. And, yeah, and, he does. He like he like responds to texts on questions. Is that is that him or is that like their other? Because like I remember I had a question about Pickett and they like texted me. I was like, wow, yeah. that's good good customer service. I had not a sponsor. Just shout out shout out Pickett. Pickett's great. Uh, businesses that text you are like 
I, I'm especially because they have so many more players than us, so many more active, you know, users. I yeah. mean, we're we're in adjacent sort of businesses, but I I I think it would be wonderful for there to the world where you know, Pickett can not only route orders to different books. And again, this is going to be so hard because there's so many entrenched interests and in like the sort of the metaphor is like so many hands in that cookie jar. That sort yes. of like what Spencer wants to do is cut off all the hands. Yeah. Be very, very. Is that, how's that? Uh, is it very pop? Does it make you very popular? <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, it's like to us, it does, but to, to the hands, you're less popular the to the hands. I, I, yeah, it's true. It's true. But, but it's true. But but it comes from a place of like love and respect for the customer, not of like sport trade. Um, has is very little to do with sport trade. Like this this example of like Picket, maybe even like the dream is like you. How great would this be? You create your account on Picket, you fund your account on Picket, yeah. you place orders, and Picket sort of handles the best execution for you. And that's for the total dream. Right. And then when there's like edges and smaller things that are hard to map the ref data across books, you can right. you know use that balance and go into the books and rewards programs and all these sort of things. Like that would be amazing. And where sport trade would sit in something like that would be in the execution of a lot of those things. Cause we think market yeah. makers competing on price can beat the spread of any other bookmaker and then ancillarily sort of selling our data or giving our data to books. We have individuals that, that purchase our data that are really interested in, the full depth of book, the top of book, the time and sales, um, mapping that with what the game state data is and back testing models. Like there's yeah. so much more that that sport trade how is. Much, other than a transaction how much does that? How much does that cost? Are you allowed to say? Uh, we we ended up like there's a lot it's of people. Make, that, you make it on an individual basis. I don't. Want, I don't want right. to put you on the. Yeah, on we the make spot. it. An I think that's a great service. I'm interested. Right. No, no doubt. Right. Especially now that you have golf. Now you yeah. said something and, and, there. I thought was interesting. Was mm-hmm that a market i don't know if you mean your market makers or not or like because there's other market makers in sports betting that aren't on exchanges like yep. chris pinnacle circa prime yep. they're all market makers technically like they they are right they t- they trade action they take so, action yeah. they move prices based on their opinion and they and their comfort and their risk now i agree that market makers are always going to be the sharpest right because you get all the information from all the sharp betters and you know and whatnot. Now, do you think that you like where you see your market makers? Are they seeing the order flow that you think is making? Because I'm actually curious, like where Sport Trade sits in what I would call like the sharp rankings. Like, do you see them getting enough order flow that would make them uh, comparable to like a Circa or Penny or Chris yet? Or you know, it's harder because you're just in like a couple states now. You know where. Or are they, you know, you know, how are they, how are they, how do they feel about kind of their pricing? Because they're offering crazy tight spreads. So yeah. I'm like, I don't think I would be willing to open myself up to that challenge unless I was getting a, a decent amount of orders. Right. Yeah. I, I think it, it, it's just like, take you as a better, someone could ask you, are you a sharp better? And to, to which you would say, yes, but there's a spectrum, right? If, if sure. you had a price, like, um, in play, will there be a run in this inning? You might be less confident to do that versus like golf. <laughs> you're just going to be sharp across the board, right? Right. Well, when market makers sign up for sport trade, they don't they don't get a choice. They it's terrifying, everything. man. It's terrifying. And, and not only do they quote everything, um, they have no idea. 
they, they can't say, oh, I don't want to play. Yeah, I'm going to limit this player. Our tech, right. We don't even have that with our technology. They get right. filled and they take that sort of what we call anonymous order flow. I no, just got it's filled. anonymous? So anonymous they just say team. it's anonymous. So they their only indication of if it's sharp is size. Is size, yep. Wow. And then after the fact, T plus one, we give a non-identifying UUID. Yeah. Where like, like user X might be like one, two, three, but like that can't yeah. be mapped to anything identifiable. Sure, like but the person just personal information, but it's a consistent right. tag. And then so they can go back and fact. be like, yeah, yeah, like okay, maybe they were playing like, oh, they pro they bet this is someone who's smart. Why they bet this? Oh, they bet it because I didn't realize it, but the coach like sat so and so. Yes. Yeah. So look at late in the second half of a college football game and got fill, 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 and make a mental note. I'm going to look at the trade logs tomorrow. Look at the trade logs and be like, hmm, what did I miss? Oh, this, they have a new offensive coordinator. And I had mapped the whole model to the fact that the older offensive coordinator just doesn't tend to play aggressively in the last two minutes when the ball's between the 40 and 40. Like that level of, which helps. I love that. Great. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a fair thing between customers and the players. Like, I agree. That's information. Fair. And I didn't know I, that. I love yeah. that. Such a great yeah. interaction because it's just, it's, it's a, it's a pleasant interaction between two people who are trying to do a good job. The sharp's right. trying to do a good job, price the game. And the market maker has less information than even, you know, Chris Circa, Penny, right. know, obviously have player information and, I love those books. Great books. But yep. it's even like more pro player. And then they go back the next day and they tweak it and they try and do a good job. And that that's I think that is such a good yep. good way for the industry to operate. Just try and do it's, a good it's job. Pretty, you know, it's a fair trade. Like you, yeah. you you get you get full, you know, basically indiscriminate treatment on the way in. Yeah. And once that's happened after the fact, they're going to, they're going to understand who that is. But it, again, I think it's just more this realistic take that we, if we really discriminated order flow, like the fact is like people are smart. They're just going to use their sister's account. Right. Totally. So like you, you're just sort of creating a problem for Arpita, who is our wonderful yeah. chief compliance officer. She's incredible. Yeah. The amount of automation she's built, like we're a very small team and we have to be a small team because we want to keep costs down. Um, but you just, you're creating more headaches for, you know, for, for compliance, but the, the answer to your question, like it's just so different and we're having a lot of fun. Like, and I enjoy the challenge of educating players because you could say, well, you know, Circa is taking, you know, 20,000 on this game. And it's like, okay, right. yeah, but it's minus one ten, minus one ten. Um, we might be minus one Oh four, minus one Oh four, including commission. Um, right. and so the great thing about that is that for the smaller players, they get an even better price. And if you're a bigger player, you're going to eat up multiple what are called order levels. So you might beat yep. eat up the two thousand yeah. available minus one hundred four, and then four thousand yeah. available minus one hundred six, and, and you're twenty five thousand. Can you market order? Yes. Okay. Well, there's a so, really nifty UI where, like, it actually yeah. just—I'll send you a video, of like, it, it and if maybe we'll release it after once this is released. Yeah. But like, we'll actually show you visually what order levels you're going to interact with, and then yeah. even show you a projected volume weighted average price. So that yep. same example where you want to bet 10,000 and yep. you might interact with minus 04, minus 06 and minus 108. It yep. sort of shows you, we think you're going to get minus 106 and then you press the button and then instantaneously you get one um, volume weighted average fill and it says minus 106. So so as Spanky likes to say, like a, a price without a limit, it's like a house, knowing a house without the neighborhood. 
Like for us, it's yep. like That's a good challenging question. that player to think more about when it circa's got 20,000, you've got 3,000, you're not as liquid. So we'll go, hold on, let's look at the price. Right. Minus a four, minus a four, that might be just minus 110, minus 110. And, and there's price levels between those two things that yeah. allow different, different complexions of players to still get a better fill. Uh, and that, and that that's a good point in play as well, because you could have, you could have more liquidity in front of minus one ten than circa. So it's right. like, actually you have more, you know, if you're, if you're thinking circa at minus one ten, you could have 20 at, you know, minus one Oh seven, even if right. you're, you know, the, the click is minus one Oh four. And I just, right. I did want to clarify because actually like most people, who watch our, you know, just straight sports betting background. Um, but a market order, if you haven't kind of messed around with, with trading, is you say, I want this amount and I'm just going to click a button and get it. And usually like, it will be like, okay, if you want a thousand at $1, you know, or if you want to buy a thousand of a stock, that's $1, but there's only like, hundred dollars that you can buy at one dollar, then a hundred dollars you can buy a dollar one cent and whatnot. It basically just takes keeps buying up the ladder of prices until you get the um, number of shares you want. So uh what Alex is talking about is essentially like telling the user, hey, if you were to market order right now, this looks like your average price for yes. your entire order of shares. So then you could go compare it with Circa. Because Circa is saying you could take 20, 20 grand at minus one ten, with this market order tool, you could you know you could take twenty grand and you could see what Sport Trade's price is for twenty grand on that side, and it could be better, you know. So I think that's really an important visualization to connect the trading and the betting world because that's like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's one got to be one of the biggest hurdles. Like someone like me, I started in trading so sport trade intuitively makes sense to me but i'm sure there's people in the space who came just from sports betting where you're trying to like mesh the world like how how is that going how you know what are what's been the challenges what's been the successes of that i think the successes have been the execution quality yes like oh wow like and we have a lot of players that we call it like it's like a verb to us v-wapping like yeah, every yeah. time we look at the trade ledger and it's all of our ticks are like, you know, $50, which is plus 100, 50.5, which is minus 102, 51, 51.5, 52, yeah. 52.7, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see a trade that comes in at 52.3. We know that that's an order that is a market order that crests yeah. against multiple price levels and it got one VWAP fill. Um, I think the things we've learned is like we had this very heavy, like, reliance on the zero to 100 model and we've since sort yep. of taken a step back from that and allowed you to view everything in american odds yes um, yes and uh interesting like our players that get started and really like it they switch over to a the view where you can sort of see both sure. at the same time which is which is really really cool and then like explaining sort of those sport trade 201 features of like go back to that circa example where it yep. might be minus 104 minus 104 for 2000 on Sportrade, you can all you can do what's called rest an order, and that yep. is like you can ask for whatever price you want. So you could say, "Yo, I want ten thousand. It's offered as two thousand available at minus one hundred four. I don't want to do a market order and pay more than minus one hundred four. I want to pay minus one hundred four, please." 
and you place a limit order and 2,000 gets filled. So now you've got 2,000 at minus 104 and 8,000 yeah. rests. And right. the cool thing about that is, you know, you let that rest for a minute at a time. It allows the market makers to take the fill, look around the world, look at where Penny, Circa, Chris, all these venues yeah. are, and then sort of, you know what, we're going to take the rest of this out and, and get the rest of your, and now you've used a little bit of wit, a little bit of patience, and you've leveraged sport trade technology to end up getting a price that, forget it, getting minus 106 versus minus 110. Now you've gotten the whole bet at minus 104 versus yep. minus 110. And the really great thing about those limit orders is the more of those limit orders happen, the more you increase the probability for a patron limit order to match a patron limit order, which back to the beginning founding of sport trade. Yeah. Where if people could say, hey, the midpoint of this market's plus 100, somebody rusts a plus 100 order, and now that market just tightened up from minus 04 and minus 04 to minus 04 and plus 100, and now you come in on the other side and you take the plus 100, we've just facilitated a trade that legitimately is at fair no value. No market maker, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. How much... So it's, uh, an experience. it's an experience. How much uh, liquidity providing are like... Are you seeing... Are you seeing... I'm more interested, actually, I think, in the Sharps in this circumstance. Are you seeing Sharp customers post-liquidity? Yes. I think sort of a very interesting time to ask the question because we're about to roll out like three really cool things that are going to encourage more resting liquidity because it's going to give you the price protection. And without without getting into too much detail, sure, yeah. you know, because it, it will bog you know, the listener down is like, wait, sport trade exchange. Like, I don't know how this works, yeah. but essentially the main two things are one, you're going to be able to set a time expiry on that order to say, okay, I want mm. this to be canceled when the game starts, or I want this to be canceled exactly an hour from now, or really cool. And practically, I want this order canceled in 10 seconds. Okay. So now you have a yeah. production of time because yeah, the market yeah. moves against you. People think, well, you're going to get ripped off. Okay. That gets to right. point two. Now this is where sport trade really goes into overdrive, hits that seventh gear, and now is no longer sort of an exchange as people think about it. You you rest that order at plus a hundred for eight thousand dollars. Yeah, and LeBron's out, or it's in play and something's changed, and Penny's moved its midpoint and it's at halftime, and now your order appears stale because now the true of the market's minus oh three, uh, you know the other way, and you want plus a hundred. Um, when market makers will start to aggress on that order, it will actually start what's called like a modified auction on demand, where now you can actually get price improvement to say, well, these two market makers both wanted my order and the traditional sports betting exchange like Betfair yeah. world, it was the first one to pick me off. Well, I'm not happy about that. And yeah. now Betfair has created a speed race with its biggest market makers. What sports rate does, it says, you know what, market makers, that's a stale order. You know it. You know it, and I know it. So you're now going to have to compete on price. I'll give the guy plus 102. I'll give the guy plus 103. Guess where the trade goes off? Plus 103. Yeah. So now we've introduced these That's two crazy of the protection of time and protection of price. And that is the example of sport trade being a technology company to connect yes. players with the best markets in the world. And that's when people think of exchange, they go right to, uh, you're going to have stale limit orders and people are going to get picked off and play. And it's like, just encouraging players to think open-minded about what sport trade is and is it's a, and that's that's the thing i love most about my job is like these market microstructure questions and yeah. building the technology and work and again going back to that founding thesis remember that the market makers are in on creating this great environment right and so they may think that the true is minus as plus 
you know, all four on something and they're going to willing to get you plus a three. And that's better for them than giving you plus a hundred. Why? Because if you pressed an order at plus a hundred and then you're filled later at plus oh three, and then you see the midpoint when you log in to see you got your fill at plus oh four, you're more, inc- you have that more inclination to do resting limit orders because you have that totally. protection and we want to create that environment. So you asked that question at a very interesting time because we're starting to roll these things out and like initial look that like customers have like been floored of like, what? Like I could leave a golf market yeah. out and I bogey the first hole, like it'll shift the price of my limit order. Yeah. Yeah. These, That's these bananas. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And, I, and it's, it's not only the te- to, to your point on the technology company, it's here. I mean, it's, it's just like a clear track record of, of pro customer in my opinion, yep. because like <laughs> I'll pick on someone besides now I'll pick on DraftKings again. Because what would DraftKings do? They would obviously just <laughs> take the plus 100. Like, no, I think we yeah. all know that. And it's like, c- can you imagine the the goodwill that that customer feels? Not only just feels like they'll, they're willing to place limit orders, but just like feels like in general, in the grand scheme of interacting with sports trade or sport betting, that they're not getting their faces ripped off. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So... I, I I love it, and I know we can we can end there. But I hope we have because we, we we hit the hour. But I hope we have more conversations. But I want to give you the floor uh, to just you know I don't know. I mean, clearly we all we talked all about the new the new products or whatnot. But what states are you in? You know, what do you have to say to people listening who are afraid to to hop onto the platform or might not have hopped on yet? Like. Give it, yep. uh, give the, the floor is yours. Great. And thanks so much for having me. This is wonderful and looking forward to seeing it. Some of the events this year and, uh, yeah. getting your, yeah. getting your feedback on some of the new stuff we want to build. We are Definitely. in New Jersey and Colorado. We are coming to new States here in 2024, um, which is, which is exciting. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at sport trade underscore app or on the app store or on the Android Google play store. Like if you're like, wanting to hop in or have any questions, just send me a DM um, uh, at a underscore Kane 47 um, on Twitter. Um, and uh, when, when this pod gets yeah, out, I'll post I'll all your first, links. Yeah, yeah. I'll be the first to comment below. Like I'll even put our phone number there. Send us a text. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even if you're not in one of those States and just want to talk shop, like I love doing it. So that that's the call to action is like, just check us out. Totally. Give them a shot. I mean, Alex truly is like one of the, like truly you're one of the good good guys in this industry. And I think you have so many people rooting for you, uh, myself included. So, you know, I'm so happy to, to to have you on and thanks for coming on, but like also just to do more stuff with you, just for the benefit of of everybody, because I think that, you know, you're you're you know, you're doing the right the thing by the industry. I love this industry. So I'm 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 there. Um, if you, if you have any, you know, any asks, like, uh, let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm open. My, my calendar is open for you. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see you at some more events, have you back on. I was actually thinking of maybe doing like a, like a round table with like, you know, maybe you and like Jeff and this guy, Brett Johnson, if you follow him over at hot streak, who, who's yeah. responsive to customers and, you know, is doing things the right way. Maybe like a little, uh, good good operator you know the approved operator uh uh discussion so we'll see we'll we'll get some more content out there but thanks again for joining and everybody who's watching i'll post all of the 
links that Alex just said in the comments. Um, and please give Sport Trade a try. Share the episode. Uh, we really, it would be really beneficial to the industry if we saw this uh, this take off. So everyone, give us a share. Give uh, give Sport Trade a deposit, and I will see you guys on the next episode.